It's time for 41 is the Mike, a weekly Chiefs podcast with Nick Jacobs of KSHB 41 and Matt Derrick of Chiefs Digest. 41 is the Mike starts now. Welcome back, everyone. Yes, it is. 41 is the Mike once again in your podcast stream. I am Matt Derrick alongside KSHB 41, Nick Jacobs. Nick, our snap count enthusiast. Yes. Who cannot I'm... wait, cannot wait until 2, 3, 4 a.m. every week when snap comes, counts come out. We can't tell you what time it is because then I'll I'll lose my edge of staying up that late. <laughs> and it's always a different time every week. <laughs> it it's a little bit of a journey, but we get there. And I normally don't get up till 10 or 11 in the morning because of it. But And when all of you wake up the next morning and get your snap counts, it's because Nick has been staying up all night waiting for them. And sleeping while you're looking at them. <laughs> so. And while we're watching film <laughs> while he's well, waiting for them. A little bit. A little bit. That's <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> well, and we are we're joking around because this is a much lighter mood on, on 41 is the mic when the Chiefs win. Uh last week was a little somber after the Monday night in the Eagles. But this one, uh Nick, I thought it was gonna be another somber one for a second. Uh, Chiefs fall down 14 to nothing. And what was going through your mind at that point? Yeah. I mean, when I, I could tell they didn't have the energy that you would kind of expect from them initially coming out with the first 15 and you can tell the defense was flat at that point uh, to start out the game. And so, I mean, it, it was something I was kind of wondering was if it would or wouldn't happen coming into the game was what does this team look like on a short week, not having Monday night, you know, having Monday night football, the aches and pains of that. But then on top of it, having Thanksgiving week, we may have friends and family in town. We may have people that are around that kind of changes the week up, can kind of distract you to a certain point. And that's not a bad thing. These guys need to be humans and need to enjoy that family time, just like, uh, or that time with friends and family, whoever it may be. But they all deserve that time to kind of, you know, reset and kind of enjoy life and enjoy kind of the fruits of their labor and to a certain extent as well. So I, you know, but when you have holidays like that, that's always going to kind of take people out of their routines and out of their rhythms. And because of that, I, I wasn't stunned to see that they weren't able to fire in all cylinders immediately out of it, but their response coming out of it was going to be, was going to be a big key. Yeah. I probably in the minority here, but I really feel like playing on the road and Thanksgiving is a bit of a blessing because I feel like it's you're exactly what you said. I mean, a lot of, you know, people will have family and friends in. And so it becomes a very, you know, hectic week if you're playing at home, but you're playing on the road, you get it on a plane Saturday and Thanksgiving's over. I mean, you're, you're locked in. And I think that's, I think that's an advantage for the road teams. I'm not sure that uh, it, the numbers back me up on this, but I think it's definitely an advantage for an Andy Reid type team because once they get on that plane, Thanksgiving is done and they're all business. Yeah, and the other the other part of it too is just the fact that I don't know. I mean, it's just funny because the like the Ra- the Chiefs are playing the Raiders. They played the Raiders coming off Thanksgiving, and then they got to play them on Christmas too when they're at home this time. So that'll be that's something I'm kind of keeping tabs on. Kind of keeping uh, you know down in my uh, in my notes column is like all right when that time comes on Christmas let's let's see what type of performance they put out then and is that is there something to that theory or do they perform better 
on a holiday week when they're when they're at home, you know, and they get the Arrowhead crowd behind them, or how is that going to work out? So that, that'll be interesting to see whenever Christmas Day rolls around. But it's funny they made the Raiders on both of them. Yeah, it, it really is, and I and I would. I mean, I'd say the same thing. I'd say I'd, I'd rather be. I think the Raiders traveling on on Christmas because I think it does allow you to kind of block things out. And I'm, I I noted that you talked about the opening script because you know obviously the Chiefs' first couple of drives were not great and really set the tone with the opening screen to Pacheco. And I felt like, and please tell me I'm completely crazy on this one, Nick. I felt like that not only was it like an energy thing, but it was a, a kind of a mismatch between the Chiefs looked like they wanted to come out and be fairly slow and deliberate opening the script and the Raiders were fired up and coming out of the cannon. I mean, and they actually had the crowd behind them in Vegas. I mean, that was a, a decent Raiders crowd on Sunday. Yeah. It wasn't bad there for a while, Um, but then it turned starting out. It was, it was a pretty good crowd. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, it just, I, I just saw a chiefs football team there that like they were, like you said, they were they were trying to be a little bit more deliberate about how they were wanting to attack and approach and kind of feel things out to a certain extent. And then the Raiders were treating it like their Super Bowl and they, you know, and that's that's what we mean sometimes whenever we're talking about, hey, like each team, like each team, like it's it's not just a cliche thing you're saying. Each team gets up for the Chiefs. And this has been years going now. It's just now that the Chiefs sometimes can't match it and certain series or certain quarters that you're really starting to kind of see what what's been talked about and how it's not as easy for the chiefs to just flip a switch like it used to be and just turn it on at times. So that's, that's a big part of what, of what that was. And there's another piece of the puzzle we'll talk about later that I think also played a key factor in it. And once things, the once the switch flipped and for me, I mean, you know, certainly I think that the Chiefs got a little bit of momentum when the, the Raiders decided to settle for the field goal and miss it. That was an opportunity. They could have gone up 21 to nothing if they hit that, if they'd gone for it, get it. I mean, they're at least up 17 if they hit the field goal. Um, that was a missed opportunity for them to really land maybe a, a knockout punch, and they missed it. Um, but that run by Jacobs, not no relation. You and we Josh, that. That, I'm aware, that I'm aware of. That, well, I mean, yeah, dude, we don't know, man. We share the same last name. I will I will give him a tip of the cap because he has a strong last name there, sir. <laughs> he, he, he runs like a Jacob, so I can see that. <laughs> but that seemed, I mean, one, it certainly woke up the defense because they came out the next drive and they were ready to start shutting the Raiders down. But offense turned it on, too. I mean, that seemed to be the wake-up call. Okay, 14 nothing. All right, guys, it's time to get, get, time to get your heads in here. Yeah, and I think for Kansas City there, part of it, it was good to see them have to respond like that. I know it sounds weird to say that way, but it, it, for me, it was good to see him kind of look like the Chiefs of old to a certain extent to where like it didn't turn into an avalanche and just completely you know, cause them to lose a game, but that they were able to kind of get, get set, get focused, and be able to kind of come back not only then, but also score in the second half. And and in that in that drought in Las Vegas, so I mean, all that collectively, like those those were encouraging signs for me, and I really liked the balance that they had on offense and how they were able to kind of attack that Raiders defense. 
I mean, I, I was looking at a lot of the stats just to see, you know, where this kind of offensive performance stacked up and won. I mean, I think you had to go all the way back to week two to find the last time that they had more yards in the second half against Jacksonville than they had yesterday. I mean, that's how long it's been since we've seen this team having a, a strong second-hand f- performance. But it, it really began in the end of the first half because they they rattled off three straight scoring drives, three t- straight touchdown drives. Again, long time since we've seen that. What did you see, I mean, as far as in those three drives, this offense do that they haven't been doing for really at least the last month? I I felt like they were more cerebral. I felt like they were cerebral to a certain extent about how to get the players into their comfort zones. And what I mean by that is like getting, getting rice on a drag route or crossing route, let him catch and, you know, and, and get full momentum catching stride and then work his way up field. Like that play, that play is going to bring him a lot of confidence. I don't know if people are going to fully expect because later he made that toe, that toe tap catch that he made. That was insane on the sidelines there, but you know, they got him the ball. They worked, they worked the screens at them early and then they got him on the crossing route and then they got him pressing, you know, vertically down the field and Mahomes just put it in that window for him. And he made an insane catch. So they had that part of it. They were able to work Kelsey in to a certain extent, Sky Moore is actually at his best. I don't think people realize this. He's at his best when they run him out of the running back position, utilize him in the flats, and let him work into space like that. The more opportunities they give him to be in full stride when he's making a catch or let him work in space as if he's the receiving running back, I think people are going to be really surprised at the success he could actually have. There was actually one play where he was open downfield, 20-plus yards downfield. I'll end up having a coach's film whenever that comes out in the next day or so. But the pressure got to Mahomes at the time. He was spotting him and getting ready to throw it to him. And he had a couple steps on that corner. And if he'd gotten that one, that would have been another one of those things. You're just looking over this next two months, even though the opponents may not be at the same level as the Philadelphia Eagles or this team or that team, you're wanting to build this rhythm and this confidence with all these guys and this belief and this trust. And if you're able to kind of do that, then you may see this offense get to where it's capable of with the parts that it has collectively. And then you add in potentially Kadarius Tony as kind of a receiving back as well and rotate him and Sky Moore in that capacity of it. There's 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 a lot of promise to be had there. It's just a matter of them kind of reducing some things, simplifying some things, and putting guys specifically in the role that makes them confident and makes Mahomes confident in them and allows them to kind of were you know kind of hit their stride in in the offense here down the stretch there's a, a certain irony to me at least that the chiefs have been too I, I feel like fixated on on the deep ball i mean we saw mahomes take five shots downfield against the eagles and was over five on them he hasn't had tremendous success and 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 I'll come back to this in a second because I want to talk about, you know, Mahomes and the deep ball and the receivers and a whole separate topic. But I just found it very ironic that the Chiefs have been trying to hit the deep ball and yet to get a 39-yard touchdown by throwing a four-yard pass to Rasheed Rice. And that was just, I mean, it was a well-designed play, but this is exactly what I think a lot of Chiefs fans have been wanting to see is like just getting the ball to Rasheed Rice in that kind of space on that kind of route and let him run because he is such a strong runner after the catch. 
I mean, and and I guess the the answer to the question is is that she's been trying to get the, to this, but they just hadn't done it. Um, they felt like that Andy Reid was talking about how yeah, it's been in the game plan. Patrick Mahomes mentioned it; it just hadn't gotten to it. Um, but this is what it, I mean to me: the Chiefs need more of is just getting the ball to Rasheed Rice. Yeah, they're they're gonna have to think of creative ways to to create some space for him and let him work like that. Like even that. <laughs> Even though they ran it on third and twenty nine, that wide receiver screen that they ran across the that they ran across the field on the on the third and twenty one there. Third and twenty one, I think third I don't think it's third and twenty nine, third and twenty one. Third and forever. <laughs> yes, it was definitely that. But the Chiefs used to run that with Donnie Avery and AJ Jenkins, Andy Reid's first couple years here. I re- I spotted that one immediately. I was like, I, I remember those. This is 2013-14 range there. When they used to run that with Donnie Avery and they would just work across the field. You'd set stuff up and it'd be, it, it wasn't necessarily like the Hill Mary, but it was variation. It was the initial very, it was the initial stages of that that helped create the Hill Mary down the road. But somebody like Rice being able to do that with that type of power that he has, the type of speed, or Kadarius Tony doing that in open space, but using the routes to create that open space, I think that's going to be really key with some of the coverages I think they're going to face down the road here to really kind of get that offense into a certain level of rhythm. Because like I, we said on the podcast last week, if the Chiefs can score four touchdowns in a game, they were always going to be in good shape to win the football game. Now that seems like an obvious statement, but with the way the defense has played yet again, only giving up 17 this week and still have not given up more than 24 points, if you get four touchdowns, you are going to put yourself in good position to win on a consistent basis. Or if you get yourself three touchdowns and a couple field goals, as long as you are getting past that 24-point mark right now, that is that should get you within striking distance to routinely win. I've 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 been trying to express this over the last couple of weeks, and I've been I guess I've, I guess I've done a poor job of it because some people think that I'm criticizing Mahomes, and this is not a criticism of Mahomes, but Andy Reid summed it up perfectly for me on Monday when he said that Rasheed Rice is doing a good job and learning how to make himself Patrick friendly, and that to me crystallizes exactly what the Chiefs receiver group and what their biggest problem and their biggest struggle has been. Because it's hard enough for Mahomes to be learning how eight different guys operate and figuring out how to work with them downfield, what they do when they see certain types of coverages, which way they're going to go when they see a safety and you know a certain position, what type they're going to react. And I mean to a degree, it doesn't matter. Because it, to me, it doesn't matter what those eight guys are going to do. Those eight guys only need to learn what Patrick wants, because that's what matters. I mean, that to me is the, you know, what Patrick friendly is exactly what Andy Reid's talking about, is that these receivers need to learn how Patrick is going to throw the ball. They need to learn how Patrick is going to think, where he is going to put the ball when he sees certain coverages and he sees, you know, whatever he sees from the very beginning. Because Mahomes, when, I mean, somebody goes in motion, Mahomes is processing information. He's picking up something that's going to tell him where the ball is going to go. And that's what these receivers need to do. They need to learn how Patrick thinks. It's not the other way around. It's not these receivers, you know, expecting Patrick to learn how they think. No, this is your franchise quarterback. You learn how he thinks and you respond accordingly. And we know it works because this is exactly what Travis Kelsey does. Travis Kelsey 
has learned how Patrick thinks. And certainly there's a little bit of it going both ways, you know, but that's what you can develop once you've had a relationship and you've worked together as long as he and, and Patrick have. But it all starts with Kelsey learning how Patrick thinks first. Right. And if, and, and the other kicker of it is if you can get two more guys on that roster, no matter who they are, and Noah Gray to a certain extent kind of gets there at certain points when he gets enough snaps, but that's where Rice, that's got to be Rasheed Rice's goal. That's going to be Sky Moore's goal. That has to be Kadarius Tony's goal is they have to try to learn that as well or get to that level, whether that's after practice, whether that's during free time in practice, just picking Patrick Mahomes' brain of, hey, or if there's even a session where, like, they go over stuff with Mahomes, even if it's this upcoming offseason, um, to where they do film study together and they go over everything from the season and kind of, you know, ask Pat, hey, what were you, what did you want? When you saw this coverage, what are you thinking here? Where are you going one, two, three? When you're do, scrambling out like this, what do you want here? How do you want these levels performed? And just do that in their off season and do that together collectively. So that's part, part of that's going to be from them being able to roster build and sustain that together long-term to where whenever Brett Veach brings in whatever receiver, it's going to be stable for two to three years. And then you, and that's why next year is going to be so important for what they do with that receiving group and how they build that together. And then slowly you add a new guy each time. And then they learn that from the veteran receivers. And then they learn that from whom, you know, from Mahomes, and they, they, and then they integrate it and just kind of pass it down like a torch year after year. That's what made, if you think about, think about the Indianapolis Colts for the most part, because I, I would love to use Brady, but Brady had so many different iterations over time. But if you take the Colts at one point, Peyton Manning had Reggie Wayne, Marvin Harrison, Dallas Clark. And if you watch that offense over the years, because they went through the growing pains together of that, just how in sync those guys collectively were along with Edron and James, like that's the goal of what you want. And then you have guys behind them that slowly work their way into that. That's where the roster building is going to have to happen long-term for the chiefs team to where, yes, in the short term, you you're growing through this and you're hoping rice gets that and more gets that. And Tony gets that, but then you add more pieces to that puzzle in the years ahead in each passing year. And then that gets passed down. So, I mean, yeah, no, you're hundred percent right on that. And yeah, whenever Andy said that, and I, I, I got a smile off that one. And then whenever you brought up the point, it was a perfect point about what they're having to do, what this is doing, not only for this year, but what this can do for this team long-term going through this. Yeah. I mean, it's that institutional knowledge that you need for an offense and, and the chiefs, when it comes to their quarterback and receivers, they don't have any of that right now. I mean, they've lost so much of it. It's that, but you're right. I mean, this is the thing that should pay off down the road. They do have a young nucleus. They're going to continue to add to this receiver group, young players. And to me, I mean, that's, that's the exciting thing because, you know, this team should be positioned in 24 and 25 to really be clicking Especially if, you know, I mean, a lot of it's on Rice and more. I mean, if those two, which I think Rice is, to me at least, he's proven enough to believe that it's absolutely clicking with him. Sky, I think, still needs to show a little bit more. But if it clicks with both those guys and you've got Tony under control a little bit too, there's opportunities. I mean, for this offense, to me, there's so ex exponential growth in the next couple of years to be exactly where this team was even, you know, during the Tyreek Hill era. And, and the reason I use those names specifically 
is because they're under contract and they're cost control right now. So whenever I say that, I'm saying that they're still on their rookie deals and they can, you're hoping those guys can pay off big before you have to financially invest in something more. So like maybe down the road, if there's a free agent that becomes available next year that you have to pay big money to, you're still going to need to have those guys be supporting pieces or be at a caliber that could be the two, three, four receivers. And then you're probably going to have to invest in another receiver or two, whether that's free agency and draft as well, so that you can kind of start to build that next nucleus overall of what that chief's offense can become and what it potentially the promise that's available there long-term. To me, you know, this is a, it's a great opportunity to transition because what we're talking about the offense trying to do is exactly what Steve Spagnuolo already has on defense. I mean, they, they have exactly the template that you're talking about as having a group of players together, a group of young players growing up together and, and what happens? Well, get a defense that's continued to be pretty good. You've mentioned it, that this team has not given up more than 24 points. This was another one, 17 points, all they allowed. I might put a little bit of an asterisk next to it because the Raiders have been so bad, but they also are playing their best football of the year under Antonio Pierce. Everybody is happy that Josh McDaniels is gone. So (laughs) (laughs) they are, they are living on adrenaline right now, Nick. And I mean, and, and they showed it. I mean, this was, uh, Aiden O'Connell delivered some balls that I didn't know he had in him. Um, they might, it, it reminded me a lot of the Jets and Zach Wilson because, you know, I think we talked about it back to that point. Zach Wilson threw about six 50 50 balls that all went his way. And O'Connell had a few of those too in the first half, threw some maybe just 50 50 balls and hit them all. Uh, but in the second half, this defense showed up. You know what? What was it that you saw that allowed this defense to make the adjustment after a rough start to finishing the way that they did? The the first part of the puzzle that I that I that I knew was going to be a challenge for them. One, Antonio Pierce is clearly a good motivator of a football team. Amen. So whether whether he's the Raiders head coach next year or if he's a position coach that's available, like he's going to help a team get better. Now, the part that I knew the Chiefs were going to struggle with defensively, other than potentially the the Thanksgiving factor, um, and coming off that was Antonio Pierce playing in Steve Spagnuolo's system. He's going to know that thing in, in and out because he had to help run that thing. So, like, he knows where the weak points are. He knows where they have struggles with routes-wise. He knows what they're looking at when they see this trips formation, when they see this bunch formation, when they see this or they see that. This is what their this is how their principles are, and this is what they may attack. And Dave Merritt having been a part of that too, and him knowing them as well. Pierce had good insight into them the same way Doug Peterson does with, you know, with Andy Reid. And so whenever those guys have either been either played for him or been a part of the staff, they're going to have good good pulses on it. Just like if the Chiefs played the commanders this year with Eric Bienemy there, Bienemy is going to know how to attack. That it's just he the enemy wouldn't have the offensive line to be able to protect Sam Howell against Steve Spagnuolo in that front, you know. But so I knew that was going to be how long it took them to weather the storm, and because I knew O'Connell was going to be able to perform well because they had been working all week. Hey, you're going to do this and go this and throw this here, and you're going to do this based off this, this, and this. But when the Chiefs adjusted to it, and when the Chiefs were able to start bringing a little bit more pressure, when they brought McDuffie. 
on one of those and then they rattled uh, Aiden and everything. Then that's when it kind of got back to where the chiefs defense had been. And then some of the things that they did run game wise to really kind of slow down that physicality that Jacobs was bringing because Jacobs people named Jacobs always bring physicality. It's just a fact. It's fact, just a fact. Truth. It's on the family crest. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, but you know, it, it it's, that's kind of what I saw. I mean, and then, you know, LeJarius Sneed, Adams got a couple on him and then McDuffie had the one throw, but I mean, yeah, they, they threw their best stuff at him. They knew could work. And then whenever Steve spiked all of them said, okay, that's fun. Now check out this. And they're like, Oh, we ain't got answers for that. We only have what you had on tape. All right. Thanks man. Um, so yeah, no, that, I think that played a big part in, in that overall, but I mean, Part of what they were actually attacking later on in a couple spots is they went at, they went at Jalen Watson again the way that the Eagles did for a couple of those throws and, and there in the second half when they had a little bit of success. So yeah, there there's some pieces here and there that you know I I I I knew if they're gonna have trouble with it it was gonna be the Raiders because of Pierce's familiarity with everything. Well, and it certainly seemed in the first half that that. Antonio Pierce had O'Connell prepared for the blitz and just getting rid of the ball quickly. And that worked. But I mean, what was really impressive to me is that you look at Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs and what they did in the first half and put up huge numbers. In the second half, Jacobs goes eight carries for 16 yards. And Legereus Sneed holds Devontae Adams to two targets and no catches. I mean, when you're able to hold Jacobs and, and Adams to 16 yards in the second half, that explains why the Raiders got nothing accomplished after halftime. Yeah, but if you listen to them in the locker room after the game, uh they're they're bought in, man. They're drinking that they're drinking that Las Vegas Kool-Aid because one of the one of the players said that they're better than the Chiefs, and and then you know Devontae Adams made comments that it wasn't what the Chiefs did; it's what what they did to themselves. And I'm like, apparently we saw two different games, but I appreciate you guys thinking that because that's the mentality you have to have to be a winner and be successful in this league. So props props to them on that. I mean, that's why I, I mean I, Antonio Pierce is selling me that that he can be a good coach in this league because if he's got guys buying in like that, yeah, I mean that's something that you know what. There's another team in the AFC West that doesn't buy in like that, and will probably be making a coach change soon. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to compare because I don't, I don't think this is fair to Brandon Staley. And this is a total segue here. Sorry, Nick, but I've just been thinking about it because he doesn't deserve it. But I do kind of feel like you know you don't realize how bad a coach Josh McDaniels is until he's gone. <laughs> and maybe, maybe. Maybe Brandon Staley's that way. I mean, maybe maybe the Chargers will find their guy and, you know, and they'll just be a 12-win team next year and a playoff team and it'll all get fixed, although they continue to be snake bit. But also, I, I'd completely forgotten about this. Josh McDaniels was the offensive coordinator for Spagnolo with the Rams or his last year as a head coach. And I now just need nothing more than to sit down with Spags for an hour and just find out what that was like. Because that was one of the worst offenses in NFL history. They averaged 12 points a game, Nick. 12 points a game. Yeah, I don't... I I mean, look, I mean, Josh was a genius and he was with Brady, but anytime he's had to stray from Brady, other than the whole Tim Tebow aspect there for that little 
that little span when he was all amped up it it hasn't hasn't gone well for him in uh outside of the outside of new england I, I, I joked at the top about you being our snap count enthusiast. Um, mm-hmm. Anything from the snap counts in this game that stood out to you? Oh, Matt, we're going to do that now? Is that we're gonna do, we're doing? Are, you, are you ready? We're going to do it, are we? I'm ready for everybody. Matt, Matt, wants, me up. To, Matt wants me to bring up the rant. Buckle so up for the rant. It's going to be that part need, of the time. We need like music and a theme song or like a siren or something for the for, for Nick's rants. All right, I'll I'll look in my uh, when I edit this, I'll look together and see if I can find something that's got uh, something fun, doesn't violate any uh, FCC laws. Um, but <laughs> we'll see. Uh, but look, I mean, I, I when I put the snap counts out, I know there's always going to be something that's going to happen that somebody's not thrilled about snap count wise. As if any of us have any control over it, even though none of us do. And I know people get frustrated, but I did not expect uh, any DK Uzama to be the topic of discussion on Twitter Monday because he only had three snaps. Now, the thing I'm going to say from a rant perspective, and Matt, you just better buckle in. It's going to be a minute now, and I apologize. I'm, I'm, I'm here for this. Look, he's in a stacked room. So, I mean, he's got Chris Jones, who's rotating in and some spots it in from time to time. He's got Charles Aminihue that's back from suspension. So his snap counts were always going to go down because Charles Aminihue's been in the league for five years now. And then on top of it, he's got George Karloftis that's already got a year under his belt and, and had to play because of either injury or other reasons that he had to go out there and he just had to be thrown into the fire. The benefit and the benefit and, and Mike Dan is having a contract year right now because he wants to get paid next year. So I mean, between all those all those aspects of it, and UDK Uzama is probably only going to get a couple packages, and that's going to be based on down and distances right now. While he still continues to work on being, you know, on learning how to be able to defeat blocks in the run game in the NFL, which was what he was working on in training camp and being able to work on, you know, some secondary pass rushing moves and things of that nature. And that's going to take time. It takes time for every single guy in the league to be able to do, but guess what? He's got the luxury of time with the chiefs that he wouldn't get in some other places right now to where he can put that all together without any pressure. There was another guy that was able to do that by the name of Patrick Mahomes when the Chiefs took him back in 2017. Am I saying they're the same level of player? No, I don't know what uh, what any DK Uzama is or isn't going to be, but neither do you or anybody else for the next three years. That's when we'll find out. That's what we live in a world right now that is so based on snap snapshot decisions all the time, and once. And has there certain thresholds of well this didn't work for a couple of weeks it it must be a fail the, the guy must be a bust because there's three other guys in front of him that are doing better than than he did okay we don't know what kind of coaching those guys had in high school or college so like th- to put people on even scales all the time is just a waste of time that's why you give everything three to four years that's why you give things time that's what life is but to continue on with my Mahomes part of it. Look, when the Chiefs took Patrick Holmes in 2017, here's the thing. He had a quarter, he had a veteran quarterback in front of him that knew the offense and Alex Smith. So he was going to get the benefit of learning from Andy Reid, learning from Matt Nagy, learning from Kafka, and then also being able to learn from Alex Smith 24-7 by how he went about it, how he approached film study, how he read coverages, everything, and just take that all in as Andy Reid's talked about time and time again of soaking it in like a sponge. I remember when I was talking to somebody privately. And that was a that was the unique time in my life because I was getting uh, laid off from another company. Um, but so I couldn't I didn't have the spotlight during that time for some things. But 
like the thing I was telling somebody privately, I was like, hey, the most important position the Chiefs can draft right now is a guy to put pressure on Alex Smith to perform, to be able to kind of have somebody behind him that he knows could be better than him and is going to push him to that level. And then guess what happened there? Alex had a career year because he had Patrick Mahomes behind him. And that goes back to what Brett Veach and Andy Reid and all them talk about with competition is that if you have guys just as good behind those players, that keeps those guys from getting complacent. That keeps them from getting stale, from getting boring, you know, in that regard and feeling like they just have to show up and everything's fine. That's what you need on a roster one through 53. If you can get it. And when you can get those at position spots, you take those. Now, I, now, the other part of it is that I understand is that the argument that some people were making back to me on Twitter is that, well, I could have drafted another position. Well, I mean, if you if you followed the rumors that were happening at the time, you followed the reports and what was happening, the Chiefs were uh, reportedly trying to trade up and they weren't they weren't working out Zay Flowers and Quentin Johnson by accident. Because they were going to have to get up into the high 20s. And by high 20s, I mean 20, 21, 22, 23. They were going to have to get up to that spot to either get those guys or to get Jordan Addison or to get one of those players. And they weren't able to, because all that they needed to get this draft, they had to make a decision. Do we want to go get that premier receiver that's cost controlled? Or do we need to fill some of these other positions in the third and fourth round that we have good grades on as well? And with the draft being in Kansas city, you're probably taking somebody in the first round so that the owner could come out with the Lombardi trophy and show that off, which is a cool moment in itself, regardless of how things do or don't turn out in that regard. But what I'm getting at here is none of us know all the factors about what they had on the board that day, what they were, you know, because say, and it's just the, it's just the cause and effect. Say the Chiefs t- did get a receiver, a trade up in the top 20, and they did get, say, a Zay Flowers, or they did get a Jordan Addison. Well, then Rasheed Rice isn't on this roster anymore because the potentially not on this roster anymore because you don't really need to invest in first and second round a receiver, or you don't feel like you need to because you think you can develop at some of those spots. And so you, you go another road, but then you also probably gave up that fir- third or fourth rounder so you likely don't get Wanya Morris. Maybe you don't get Chamari Connor, and Connor's crushing it on special teams right now. And long term, you're kind of hoping he learns and maybe he can fill in that blitzing role that McDuffie's doing right now, or maybe he can kind of become a potential corner that could kind of work in some of Legarius Sneed's role. That's what you're working on there. But part of the roster building also is the fact that you're always, when you can, you're always trying to set yourself up a year or two in advance of what you may lose in free agency. So something doesn't constantly turn into a weakness that you have to throw everything at to try to fix. Like the chiefs had to do with the offensive line in 2020. So long rant, I apologize for it. But at the end of the day, I understand that you're frustrated. Felix and Udiki Zama is only getting three snaps and that they didn't take somebody else. But from what I've seen, how things unfolded, it seemed like if they couldn't get a receiver in the top twenties and they couldn't get Mozzie Smith, or potentially if they were trying to trade up for Anton Harrison there, which maybe was possible too, if they weren't able to do those things, then they were going to take the best player who was on the board at that point. And it sounded like that's who that was for the chiefs at that time. That's just reading tea leaves. That's looking at everything, seeing all the reports End of rant, Matt. I apologize. And you never apologize for the rants because the rants are the best part of the show. 
and what I everybody loves. I think, I think what in type of enthusiast you feel I am this week, I think that makes my week. Okay. <laughs> but, and I want to add two things that I think just absolutely yeah, reinforces yeah. your entire point here. And one is that I think one thing that also gets overlooked quite a bit is that what's the difference between Felix and maybe the rookie class of last year? Well, guess what? Felix wasn't on the field for rookie minicamp for OTAs for mandatory minicamp. He missed 16 practices with that hand injury. He missed four weeks. That's almost almost training camp. I mean, this Mm -hmm. year was a long training camp. I mean, typically that would be the equivalent of training camp. He missed all that. When he showed up for in July, wasn't out of shape, anything like that. Was he in football shape? No, because he hadn't played football in seven months. So he had that, but then he also wasn't drinking from the fire hose that all the other rookies were, you know, now it was even worse. I mean, now he was drinking from basically two fire hoses once he gets to training camp and he was always going to be behind. And that was something that, you know, you would, you would hear from, you know, behind the scenes during training camp from, from inside the organization was like, look, you know, it's realizing this is maybe a red shirt year to a degree for Felix, because he can probably handle some things because he's a good player and, athletic and they like a lot of things about him but that experience was a lot to miss and yeah so there was never never necessarily going to be maybe a huge expectation for him this year but and i'll also say this you know to your and just to underscore your point had the chiefs decided to go a different direction at 31 you said it i mean everybody that they wanted to trade up for was gone because other teams wanted to take those players or they had somebody that they wanted in a specific spot. So, you know, the Chiefs had no opportunity. Had they stayed at 31 and not taken Felix, who did they take there? I think there's a 90% chance to take Rasheed Rice because I don't believe there was probably anybody else that that went between there and, and, and Rasheed that the Chiefs were like, okay, well, this is who we're going to take next. They liked Rasheed Rice. So there's a pretty good chance that if they stayed at 31 and couldn't trade back, they'd probably still have taken Rasheed there. So, you know, I don't think there was necessarily another option for the Chiefs except to say, hey, this is a guy that we think, if he gets healthy, can help us this year. But more so, this is a guy for the future when we know that we're not going to have Charles and Minahue. You know, we're probably not going to have, you know, at this point, you know, we'll have George Karloftis. We won't have Mike Dana. But, yeah, I mean, this was for saying in 2025 is when you're going to have George Karloftis and, and Felix and Adike Uzama coming at you. Yeah, Matt. You said everything that so, I'm just <laughs> the icing I'm, on the cake. Uh, that was my long way of saying I co-signed Nick. Well, it's very kind of you, sir. I appreciate that, <laughs> and I, I liked everything you had to say. Oh, and we oh, we have fun here. I hope I I hope you guys have as much fun as we have doing this because this is like the highlight of my week. I hope it's not the highlight of your week, man. Because I uh, I want that I want that food that that food fish truck to be the highlight of it. <laughs> okay. I haven't had haven't had the fish truck in a while. Yeah, dude. so I, well, I haven't been able to because whenever they have it, you know, it's at times whenever you and I are out exactly. at uh, out at out at Chiefs practice, and then by the time I get done, you know, at work, they've already closed up shop for the night. The the fish truck needs to coordinate with our schedules better. That's all I'm saying. Or put it right outside the Chiefs practice facility. <laughs> I don't think the Chiefs would enjoy that, but I'm just saying. Like, I mean, there are options. <laughs> they have had a taco truck out there before, so I really don't see any problem with a fish truck. That's all I'm saying. You have, you have my interest now. I am 
<laughs> I can get lunch while covering the Chiefs. This is what I. This is these. These are the ideas that we need to bring to the podcast more, Matt. <laughs> I know we. Hey, hey, the Chiefs facility is kind of a food desert, so they really could use bringing some food trucks out there sometimes. That's all I'm saying. Hey, uh, we'll see if we get any, and you know, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see what they do. I, I I think this is a phenomenal idea. I'll be interested to see if they uh, take our ideas for the suggestion box or not. <laughs> I know we're, hey, we came a little late into your podcast feed this week. I apologize for that. But, you know, I guess to make it up to you, let's take a quick peek at next week because uh, Patrick Mahomes is pretty fired up about going to Lambeau Field, in case you haven't noticed. Oh, yeah? Tell me more, Matt. <laughs> he's he's fired up. He's ready for this. I mean, when, when Patrick Mahomes is already talking about next week's game in postgame, you know, you know he's excited. And, and being a, the football guy he is, Patrick's looking forward to going to Lambeau Field. I I, I think it probably is because I don't. He hasn't played. I don't think he's played there before during regular. I want to say game. they may have played an exhibition game or a preseason yeah, but like, game, there, but like but a regular season to be there at no. Lambeau on Sunday Night Football. Historically, this will be his regular season debut at Lambeau. Yeah, try to make one of those memorable moments on Sunday Night Football. I could I could see him being amped up for that, and the fact that it'll be on KSHB forty one is another uh, another delightful fact that you can be able to watch it on our station. So. I'm uh, I'm amped up about that part of it. So, but now I mean, like, look, the Packers have been playing some pretty good ball lately. I mean, I didn't know if they'd be able to get to that point, but I mean, what they did on Thanksgiving against the Lions actually was pretty impressive when I was watching them. But it did break my heart to see Reed making some of the plays he was, given how much I liked him coming out of the draft for the Chiefs. But I mean, I, I like their I, I like what they're doing on offense with the floor right now. So I. I'm really intrigued to see what the Chiefs are, what the Chiefs have cooked up, and if the offense can kind of build off what they did in terms of the running with Pacheco, that run pass balance, and now they can kind of continue to develop Rice and whoever and uh, potentially Kadarius Tony and what they kind of work with the Sky more. That's kind of what I'm looking in week in and week out now about what can the Chiefs do with those guys, and they're they're going to face a strong run game this week. They get. Green Bay's got some talented, talented running backs that I I'm curious to see how the Chiefs run defense potentially bounces back against them. They're starting to put some things together. They've looked they've looked more impressive the last couple of weeks. And obviously going into Detroit and winning on Thanksgiving should wake you up. I mean, that's that's a big win. So can't overlook it. Is it wrong, Nick, though, that I'm think I keep thinking to myself that if um a certain player's significant other shows up for this game whether or not she'll get better seats than jordan love's mom got for his debut at arrowhead oh look we don't know what time jordan love and them bought the tickets that's all i'm saying (laughs) or when they requested (laughs) the tickets but uh yeah no i mean that's that's another good point i hadn't thought of like that that person may end up being at that game and sunday night football will make you very aware of that if that does occur so just, that solid point, sir. I just remember being in the press box and seeing that monitor of, of Jordan Love's mom like 48 times during that game. If you thought that that somebody's girlfriend was on on TV a lot, they cut to Jordan Love's mom like literally 48 times in Rosie of Arrowhead. <laughs> I say that because I've sat in Rosie of Kaufman Stadium and I know exactly where it is. Yeah, did you have to bat away a whole bunch of bugs up there with the lights and everything where you just had moths? Didn't have that, you? but, you know, the great thing is is that in row ZZ is that there is a chain-link fence behind your seat mm-hmm. um, that keeps you from falling out of the stadium. 
So, and the great thing is you can see your car, you know, you can see the parking lot for that seat. So double check that your car is fine. You can attend to it at all times. See, Matt, you're finding a positive in everything. You found found something for back support and monitoring your car. Outstanding work. It it is cold up there. It was, it was opening day. And so, yes, enjoyed Rosizi is a little breezy up there. So, you know, you do want to bring some, some windbreakers and everything. And I have, I have, I have sat in, I haven't sat in Rose Z at Arrowhead, but I have sat in the, the double lettered rows of the upper deck of Arrowhead. And it is also quite breezy up there. Yeah. I'm just telling you my, my size and my, my age, man, I don't know if I can sit in the upper deck anymore for a game. Like just it's walking down, seeing that steep, steep dope boy. I don't know. It's there's no know. doubt it, it it's a haul. The older I get, Matt, the more analysis I do of ways that things can go sideways for me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because I mean, especially between the two of us. I mean, one day we'll have to do a podcast on our various uh, injuries and surgeries. <laughs> I I'm sure four or five people will be very interested in that. <laughs> It can be very, very informative. Uh, is there anything else? Anything else on the top of your mind you need to get off your chest, Nick? Anything? No, no more rants for today. But, um, but I will say, I'm curious to see what the Texans and Broncos do over the next uh, over the next handful of weeks. Because, boy, they're they're both playing some football that may sneak them into the wild card. And I know the I know the Raiders believe that they can do it. And I know the Raiders are going to keep telling themselves that. We almost had the Chiefs. If we played four quarters, we had them. And that's what the coaching staff's probably going to be saying to them this week. So the Raiders are going to – I'm, I'm going to be keeping tabs on what the Raiders, Broncos, and um, and Texans doing the weeks ahead here because I, I I could see each one of them sneaking into the, the final couple wild card spots. We'll see what the Bills do now that they've got the, the new offense. But, man, the Bills are on a bye week this week, and then they're going to play the Chiefs coming out of that. And yep. then they play the Cowboys too, so I like I. That's a tough road for the for the Bills ahead because I was looking at their schedule last night and I'm like, man, they got they could easily lose four of those games coming up here. So I was like, boy, I don't. That's gonna be tough for them. And so yeah, the the Bills and Bengals may be getting swapped out with the Texans and another AFC West team when it's all said and done. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to look too far ahead, but that Chiefs-Bills game is going to be pretty important because the Bills might need it to just stay in the race, and the Chiefs need it to keep the tiebreakers. So that's going to be a big one. And, yeah, I mean, that that to me, the Bills need uh, the Bills are going to need that one more than the Chiefs do. But Yeah, and then just before we go here, since I'm curious about this now, you're looking at the Ravens' upcoming schedule, and I was looking at that last night. I mean, they're getting the buy now, so the Chiefs, as long as they keep doing what they're doing, they'll have the better conference record. But then you look at they're going to be versus the Rams, the Jack, like the the Ravens' stretch is after the after the Rams game. Their final four, like they're at Jaguars, at 49ers versus the Dolphins and versus the Steelers. That's going to be uh, that's that's a tough four game stretch headed into the. Headed into the playoffs, so that'll be interesting how they perform down the down the road here. And one team that you are very lucky and and and, and fortunate to have the tiebreaker in hand for me is Jacksonville, because they've got Cincinnati, Cleveland, Baltimore, Tampa Bay, Carolina, and Tennessee to round out their schedule. 
And the, yeah, the Baltimore one's a huge one. I mean, that can be a, 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 uh, the winner is maybe the one that's going to take on the chiefs as far as battling for that one seed, but Cleveland will be a tough one too. But I mean, Cincy shouldn't be as, as, as on paper, isn't the challenge that it was probably a few weeks ago. And certainly mm-hmm. Tampa, Carolina and Tennessee, it's not giants, Cardinal giants like the Eagles, have. <laughs> but that's a favorable schedule. Yeah. So it'll be interesting down the stretch here. Chiefs just got to keep winning, keep finding their identity on offense and put themselves in position to where they can uh, have the road go through Arrowhead again this year. That'll be the question is which Chiefs offense shows up in Green Bay. If it's the same one that that showed up in Vegas, it should be a sight to see. And Maybe this team is finally starting to find its footing heading into the home stretch. It's what they told us week after week, so... Just if off they, by a tick, just off by a tick, Nick. They've figured it out. If they can do it, then hey, props to them. We will find out, and if we find when we find out next week, we will talk to you about it afterwards. So, thank you once again, as always, for joining us on Forty One Is the Mike. We will come back at you next week after Chiefs at Green Bay and Lambeau Field, and break it all down for you again. So, Nick, great talking to you as always. I bid you adieu, Matt. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, do all that fun stuff, share, tell people, tell your friends, tell your neighbors about the podcast. We appreciate it. Appreciate you listening, and we are very thankful for Thanksgiving weekend. My thanks is to the listeners for coming to us every week. Everybody, have a great week, and we will talk to you after Chiefs and Packers. You've been listening to 41 is the Mic, presented by KSHB 41, your home of the Chiefs and Chiefs Digest.